to the Shannon Plan. We are back. We are recording a playoff episode thanks to the 49ers winning in the playoffs. My name is Kyle Posey. I'm joined as always by Akash Anavarathan. Akash, playoff mode. How's it going, man? It's fantastic, man. Nothing like doing a podcast in late January and still breaking down and previewing an upcoming game. It's always good when the team's still playing. So we predicted the 49ers would win and win comfortably. I thought it would be 24-13. The Niners scored more than 24 points. Uh, the defense did allow more than 13 at the same time, though. So what was your prediction? I think it was like 27 17 like along those lines it was, it was the we had the same margin of victory i think i just thought they'd score a little more yeah the um the explosive plays from debo christian mccaffrey kind of opened it up in the second half so let's kind of talk about that because you know their personnel grouping has been the talk of the town so far and you you mentioned this before we got on here the 49ers were in their 21 personnel 21 personnel is when you have two backs two wide receivers one tight end the 49ers can throw out Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, and then obviously Brandon Ayuk, Kyle Juszczyk, Debo Samuel. When they were on the field, they ran 17 plays against the Seahawks, and they had 261 yards. Averaging 15 yards a play with your base group, right, with the personnel grouping you use the most is insane. And honestly, they could have had a couple other chunk plays, the early one that uh, Purdy kind of airmailed to Debo Samuel, there was another one to Juwan Jennings, uh, the one early on in the game, the back of the end zone. So we're talking about, what, 345 at least yards right there, 350 yards. So, um, yeah, it's pretty insane the way that they've been able to execute. You have to give Kyle Shanahan credit because when you think about 21 personnel, you're thinking, all right, they're just in an eye formation, but they use Christian McCaffrey wide as a wide receiver, and he's been uber effective in that role. Kyle Juszczyk is, I mean, he's just a tight end. He, I know he's labeled as a fullback, but I view him as a tight end. They, they line him up in the slot often as well. The numbers would suggest that this is their best lineup. The numbers would suggest that this is one of the most potent personnel groups in the NFL. Like, why? What is it about this unit that puts them over the top? It's the versatility. And if you look at the first three or four plays, and I, I tweeted out just some still pictures, they line up in so many different ways, right? There's you know, the opening play, they line up with McCaffrey in the backfield. I think he was checking the eye formation. And then the next play, it's McCaffrey's out wide, Debo's in the backfield. And then the next formation, it's McCaffrey and Debo in the backfield. And and the other thing is typically, or at least Seattle, they came out in base personnel, meaning they came out with heavier personnel, either two or three linebackers to try to effectively stop the run. Well, McCaffrey, great route runner. Debo, you can split him out wide, of course. Kyle, you check, you can line him up in the slot. So Defenses come out in heavier personnel. Kyle decided to throw the ball against it, and they had wide open throwing lanes, and Brock Purdy was accurate enough to hit those, and then you get the ball in these guys' hands. They're fantastic after the catch. It just feels like one of those positionless lineups where it is impossible to defend, and I think it's going to be a challenge for teams as we continue to go on in the playoffs, and it's something that the 49ers haven't been able to quite deploy yet just because of health, right? They missed... Debo for about a month there in the middle of the season. And it's something I bet Kyle Shanahan already knew, but kind of wanted to hold off to the playoffs. And now it feels like there's new wrinkles coming out on top of it. And it feels like that specific lineup is going to be the one that's featured the most kind of as we, as we move through these next rounds. Kyle Shanahan kind of talks about when 
when other teams play man-to-man coverage against him, so we we know that the 49ers are going to move their players around. When you put Debo Samuel in the backfield, you're not going to put a corner on him. You're not going to have a cornerback in the box, and now he has to play the run. So that's kind of a death now. You're asking for it. And when they do, when other teams do run man-to-man coverage, like we saw last week, they can just use play action, and then that's just going to turn into a track meet. And when it's Debo and a track meet, he's going to win that race. When it's McCaffrey getting to the edge on a track meet, he's going to win that race. There was a couple times over the past couple of weeks where he's used, he being Shanahan, uh, George Kittle, and Brandon Ayuk in a condensed formation. And that means um, instead of being wide out by the numbers as a wide receiver, they are maybe they're like three yards from the line of scrimmage now. And now they can just crack down on a linebacker. The guy who they are, who's guarding them, has to follow them. And he effectively eliminates um, two defenders with one blocker. So it is a thinking it's, it's like a crossing route, right? Yeah. Like it's, the, the guy defending them. 100%. Yep. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways that Shanahan's using the opposing uh, defense and their coverage rules against them. Uh, he had Seattle in the torture chamber. I, I tweeted one play about it, but I mean, he, the way that he manipulates your coverage rules against you and will spam one play over and over and over again, it, it should be the Ayuk McLeod concept. Yes, it's it's called a burner concept. Like he calls yeah. it the burner. Um, it's a Yankee concept. So one one wide receiver from one side of the field just runs the coverage off. He's going to run deep, and then Ayuk, uh, Jennings, uh, Raven McLeod, whoever. Mostly it's been Ayuk. I think he had three catches on this same route concept for uh, all of his all of his uh, catches. Um, He just comes from the other side of the field and they're going to use Christian McCaffrey because you're not going to leave Christian McCaffrey open underneath. So he has three or four guys running toward him while Brandon Ayuk is streaking over the middle field wide open. Um, It's it's tough. And when you're talking about when I asked you, you know, what makes this personnel grouping so difficult to stop? So you can't run man against them because they're so fast. Zone just makes it easy pitch and catch, right? They can just find the soft spots. Think about what D'Amico Ryans does as a defensive coordinator. So he is going to put Mooney Ward on one side, and he's going to leave him on an island. And he's going to put uh, Hufanga, Gibson, whoever it is, and they're going to help the other side of the field. For the 49ers, that can't happen. So we saw a couple times over the last week where it's Kittle and McCaffrey on one side, and it's Debo and Ayuk on the other side. There's not really a way to flood your defense one way to add help to either or so um it's there's a reason that they're scoring um what at least 33 (laughs) points in all but one of party starts that 37 and four straight right that is pretty insane to yeah to say that to be scoring um over five touchdowns a game Uh, they are in very good hands but um yeah, it's, it's not just a 21 personnel. It helps to have one of the best play callers. Let's switch gears, though. We I forgot to talk about this. Rand Carthen. Uh, the Titans hired Rand Carthen, and he is the he was the director of pro personnel for the 49ers. And in my mind, he was probably responsible for the lower round picks. And, I mean, everybody knows this by now, the success rate that the 49ers have had um, on day three. We just talked about George Kittle. Um, and I – Pro personnel, he's a guy probably in charge of identifying who the 49ers can bring in in free agency, who they could acquire midseason via trade. Of course, Christian McCaffrey is an easy one, but Charles Minhew saved the game, and he was acquired midseason for uh, essentially next to nothing. Uh, Jordan Willis. Yeah, Jordan Willis is a great example. Um, Mooney Ward, their high-prized free agent signing. 
he is the reason the defense is able to do what they do coverage-wise. I know he gave up a big play uh, against DK Metcalf, yeah. but there are double-digit games, I think, where he allowed fewer than 50 yards um, in coverage. So th there's no doubt uh, Carthen had a big success and was a driving force in the 49ers. Like, when Kyle Shanahan took over in 2017, compared to the roster now, it is just insane when you look at the difference in talent. Um, whether it's speed, whether it's physicality, or just adding good players. So uh, looking forward to see how Carthen uh, builds. I know that we had this in our uh, channel plan chat. Trey Lance, <laughs> Trey Lance on his Instagram, all he did was cross his fingers emojis. And people are going to run with that and think, wow, Trey Lance to the Titans. Um, and I, again, we, yes, we think he makes some sense. It, it does. So, they have Malik Willis, who they drafted in the third round, but he he became unplayable effectively um, this year. Ryan Tannehill's probably not going to stay healthy if he's not a guy that you want to lean on anyway. It does make sense, but we we also thought Marty Mayhew would trade for Jimmy Garoppolo uh, when he became Washington's general manager, and that never came to fruition, even though you know there are rumors that it was going to happen and whatever fell through. But that, is that going to happen? Like, is Trey Lance a goner? People are so obsessed with this topic, and you you said this yesterday. I agree with it. The projecting the 49ers quarterback right now, like in this very second, think as about they're it. about to play the Cowboys, they are going to play the freaking Cowboys in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> this is about to be probably the biggest game in the NFL this season, the most watched, uh, one of the best rivalries in the history of the NFL. Two teams who are who won double digits. Uh, I just couldn't think that this. Um, I couldn't fathom wanting to talk about this right now but you got to strike while the iron's hot purdy's playing well uh trey lance is an afterthought trey lance people aren't sure that you know whether trey lance is going to be healthy or not there there are so many uh what ifs that it doesn't even make the topic entertaining to talk about but we do have to give Rand carthen credit 49ers are now going to be projected to have 11 picks this year um that was not going to be the case they're only gonna have i believe four but free agency uh, because guys like Comp DJ picks. Jones, yep, Raheem Mostert, uh, Arden Key, who's playing with the Jags in the playoffs, which is cool to see. Um, another off topic. Have you noticed how many different former 49ers have been in the playoffs? The Giants it's own like insane. half their roster. Uh, Richie James, uh, Matt Breida. Dante Pettis. Um, yep, Dante Pettis. Well, uh, no, Pettis is with no, Dante Pettis in Chicago. Never mind. But the Dolphins, they had, I mean, I just mentioned Mostert, uh, Trent Sherfield, Mike Hefe. freaking Daniel. Yeah, Jeff Wilson, who they traded. Uh, it seems like I just mentioned Arden Key, who, who plays quite a bit for the Jaguars. It seems like one team has at least a former prominent player uh, that we're used to seeing. It, it is cool, though, to see Richie James get some shine. I know a lot of people wanted him to play with the 49ers. And I, when, when people ask uh, why certain players, why other younger players don't play, I think in Richie James' case, it was probably just a matter of uh, not being able to Trust him. He's probably a great practice player, but who knows if he, he knew the playbook or not. But we're getting way off track here. I want to dial it back to the 49ers offense. Brock Purdy finished the game well, did not start the game well. I mentioned the first play he had where he kind of just overthrew it, right? He was a little wound up to Debo Samuel. I love how Shannon came back to him and got him an easy completion to Brandon Ayuk. But in the big picture, how worried should we be about Purdy's nerves early on because it's going to be the same thing against Dallas and they were a big favorite against Seattle they were supposed to blow out Seattle that's not 
going to be expected against the Cowboys is figures to be coming down to the final possession. So will Purdy's nerves get the best of him? Will he be able to settle in over the course of his starts over the last two months or so, a month and a half, two months, whatever you want to call it. He has had some plays that he's gotten away with, but there have also been some playmaking plays that Purdy's added that the 49ers haven't had under center. So what do you, what do you think here? Um, what did you make of Purdy's early nerves? And he was, he did settle in, but I, I, I tend to side with the line of thinking that I think he was propped up a bit. I think Brock Purdy finally felt human for a little while because during his six game stretch in the regular season, he came out, he seemed to handle every situation with poise, look calm. And even if he was missing a throw or two, it never felt like it snowballed out of control. And on that opening drive, opening play, wide open throw, right? Schemed play to hit, I forget who it was, but I think it was Debo and just completely airmails him. Comes back, obviously, hits Ayuk on the next one. But even in the first half, it just felt like he was spinning out of a lot of pockets, right? He, he would spin out to the left and be like, oh, my God, what is happening? And it just felt like it was moving a little bit too fast for him. He, I think he finished, what, 9 of 19 in the first half. And then he came back, and he was 9-11 in the second half. Looked a lot more comfortable. And it makes sense, right? They were heavy favored over Seattle. It was a game that they probably they couldn't afford to lose. I, I mean, point blank, period. They just they couldn't lose that game to Seattle at home as a two seed with this roster as that as a double digit favorite. Um, whether or not you know the it was raining, whatever the case was, they just they just couldn't lose that game, and it felt like you could. The, the team was a little tight. Brock Purdy was a little tight, but it was promising to see that in the second half he opened things up, looked more comfortable. And hopefully that's something that he's able to carry with him into the next week because that's even though they're a favorite, they're a smaller favorite. And I think just having played in a playoff game, knowing what the environment's like, I feel like he's going to be more settled in out of the gate. And we're going to hopefully see more of that second half Brock Purdy from the get go. I have to assume that the matchup will dictate that. So Seattle has a ton of fast players in their secondary. So um, I, I imagine that had something to do with it. Still, the playoff nerves, the jitters, like he was a little wound up. He bailed out on some clean pockets that he he has done before, but not to that capacity. But still, I mean, some of the plays that he made with his feet, uh, he had a second and 13 where he was able to scramble for a first down. Um, everybody's going to remember the final play where Brent Ayuk dropped the pass and Purdy made a couple guys miss. He's scrambling around in the backfield for seemingly 10 seconds. I, I would like him to play in structure, remain in structure, but it's nice to know that those plays do exist. Like he, he is able to create after himself, both of his touchdown passes. It's because he's keeping the play alive and he's extending the play for what five, five seconds. It seems like and finding a running back on the other side of the field. So I, I think he, he's able to prop up uh, the 49ers in that sense, but also he's pushing the ball down the field. He had 10 attempts over 20 air yards. That is as many as Jimmy Garoppolo and in six games. There's no doubt he's he's opening up the field and he's forcing the defense to defend the entire field. I mean, just the first drive right there, the first pass to Debo was 15, 20 yards down the field. Juwan Jennings was over 30 yards down the field. And then those IU passes, um, 20, 20, 20. So I know Shannon's happy that he's able to use the entire field and it, it definitely makes a difference. But we're going to see how that matchup goes. I mean, it's Dan Quinn. And if there's one person who knows Dan Quinn, it's Kyle Shanahan. So he had, he has had success, but Quinn has too. So 
um, we'll, we'll be able to dig into that matchup more as the week goes along. Let's talk about, let's turn the page here and, and talk about Dallas and their offensive line. So Tyron Smith, one of the better offensive linemen in the past decade, um, he's getting on the other side of the hill. He's he was drafted the same year as Richard Sherman, I believe, that 2011 class, that hurt, crazy. Uh, historic class. Yeah, he's, but he only played four games this year, uh, aside from the playoff game, and all those were on, at right tackle. Something that he has not really played during his career. Dallas does have a stud rookie left tackle in Tyler Smith, but he has given up a, a few sacks and quarterback hits over the over the past month or so. Um, they're good. At right guard, there's no doubt about that. Zach Martin, again, one of the best offensive linemen in the past decade. But when the 49ers have played Dallas over the past couple of seasons, their left guard, Connor McGovern, uh, Connor McGovern, he has been the target. And that is a guy who I imagine the 49ers will look to attack. And as, as well as Tyree Smith has played, it, I mean, it's still Nick Bosa, right? So you would imagine Eric Armstead, who is just playing out of his mind. Uh, he came into this game uh, as – one of the all-time sack leaders in franchise history in the postseason. I don't think people understand that, like how dominant he has been in the postseason. And he followed that up early. Like right away, he gets a sack out of the gate. He had a couple other plays where he's right there and he's impacting the play. I think Eric Armstead is going to be a huge different make, difference maker. Last season uh, in the playoff game, Charles Amini, who had a strip sack, he had another one against Seattle. So he's another player. I know he doesn't start, but he plays like a starter. He is arguably their second best pass rusher. Um, depending on if you want to rank Bosa or sorry, Armstead or a So talking about three high level pass rushers and Samson Ebicom is a great energy guy. I would say like he, he might not have the stats um, as a or Armstead or obviously Bosa, but I think Ebicom makes things muddy when he is rushing the passer and Javon Kinlaw, who hasn't really been much of a pass rusher since he's came back, but I mean, he, he came up with a couple stops around the line of scrimmage. Uh, he had one early stop. I think it was the second play of the game. So all along the defensive line, I mean, they're stacked. They come at you in ways. We talk about that every um, every week, it seems like. Uh, Jordan Mason, Kevin Givens, Kerry Hyder, T.Y. McGill. Um, they, they are 10, 11 deep. But you have some offensive line stats about the Cowboys. And I, there, I picked Tampa Bay to beat Dallas. And it wasn't because I, I thought do. Dak would turn the ball over. It's because I thought Tampa Bay would be aggressive and they would blitz and they would be able to get after the Cowboys offensive line. And that didn't happen. And you have to credit Dak for making plays. But I don't know if they're going to be able to get away with that for two games in a row. So hit us with some Cowboys offensive line stats, because for the large part of the season, the 49ers have had a better offensive line than them. And I think that might surprise some folks. That's true. And I'm looking at football outsiders adjusted sack rate. For the entire season, Dallas is at 4.7%, uh, and San Francisco is at 6.3%. So Dallas's offensive line, I think, in total, has actually given up fewer sacks. It's I've, I've got them as 27 sacks given up on the season. Fortnite have given up 31. Uh, the tough part is it's not filtered by week, so it's hard to figure out what percentage of that is kind of the latter half of the season with Christian McCaffrey, obviously Brock Purdy. Um, just Brock Purdy's pressure to sack numbers have been a lot um, less compared to Garoppolo and Lance. So obviously the offensive line has obviously been playing better as well. But like we talked about before we hit record, I think it honestly comes down to which offensive line plays better. 
Um, these defensive lines are both ferocious. The Cowboys defensive line, second in the NFL in sacks at 54, second in the NFL in adjusted sack rate. The Niners defensive line, their numbers aren't as high. Their sack rate numbers aren't as high. I think they're first in pressure rate, like you said. Um, and they ha- they just come at you in waves with their depth. So it's going to come down to which offensive line can hold up for longer and give their quarterback enough time to get the ball out. And I think if I were to pick one offensive coordinator who I think can coach around that, I think it's going to be Kyle Shanahan. I think Kyle is super, super aware of, you know, what Dallas is going to throw defensively, whether that's Michael Parsons or Demarcus Lawrence, basically whatever they've got on the defensive line and trying to take that into account, whether that's keeping George Kittle in more to pass protect this week and helping Mike McGlinchey out, who has been playing well. Um, and I think that's going to be a point of emphasis this week is trenches. And we know in the playoffs, generally it comes down to that. But this week, especially, I think that's going to be emphasized. And the more physical team up front is going to have an edge. Um, and I think that's going to be that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. And the Niners just have more consistency and they have more depth on both sides of the ball there. I think if we go back to week 18, and it might have seemed like a meaningless game, but Dallas was playing to win against Washington. And they pressured Dak 15 times. Uh, they hit him three times. They sacked him once. But when you do pressure him and you force Dak to maybe get rid of the ball sooner than he wants to, maybe the wide receivers are not on the same page because he has turned the ball over quite a bit. And that has been the story. I think he had like seven turnovers in his past um, 11 games or something like that. Something to the tune where it was more than two to one. And with that in mind, and I know it wasn't all on Dak. I know the receivers made some mistakes, but the timing, when you get that type of pressure, that's what happens when you're not comfortable. So that's what the 49ers should look to do. Chase Young had a day that game. Chase Young is not as good of a pass rusher as Nick Bosa. That is not saying saying anything that anybody doesn't already know. So I think the depth of the 49ers will prevail here. And I think also... I mean, their athleticism, we talk about their physical style of play, it seems like every week. Teams just aren't used to that. And their athleticism, especially along the interior, should make the difference here. So, yeah, I, I, I go ahead. I was going to say, so I pulled up the, the pressure numbers from last year's playoff game. Niners had 31, Niners defense had 31 pressures and seven sacks against Dak Prescott. And so, you know, very similar defensive line. I don't know they've subbed out a few guys, right? They don't have Arden Key necessarily, but um, yeah, man, that that group is uh, still very, very deep, and I imagine they're going to find a way um, to get home against Dak Prescott. I mean, I'm looking at the pressure leaders right now, and it was it was really split out. I mean, Nick Bosa missed that second half, remember, with a concussion. So it was Omenahu, Ebukam. Arden Key, Jordan Willis, Eric Armstead. I mean, those were the guys that were landing pressures. With Nick Bosa, I think he only had one in that game uh, because he missed a whole half, and hopefully that's not the case this time around. I'm going back with these box scores. They struggled against Washington. Even the Titans, who really, I mean, they were down like four or five starters um, defensively that game. They had double-digit pressures. Dallas scored 40 points against the Eagles in Week 16. They had 20 pressures on Dak. He was sacked eight times in that game. So the offensive line leaves a lot to be desired for the Cowboys. There's no doubt about that. And D'Amico Ryans has been incredibly aggressive, especially on obvious passing downs. But as we saw last week, the 49ers, 
early in the game, especially, they struggled on first down. They were they were allowing 5.8 yards per carry, or sorry, 5.8 yards um, on first down. And that was through the first quarter and a half, maybe even two quarters. It was a problem, and that was the reason they were allowing at at the point at that time, uh, six for nine on third downs. But when I was just watching the Cowboys game, and I mean, I know Tony, Tony Pollard is incredibly explosive. Like he is a walking explosive play. And he, just like Ken, uh, Kenneth Walker with the Seahawks, the Seahawks last week, um, he has the proponent, um, sorry, he has the ability to have the big play. But if you can't block, obviously it doesn't matter. I do wonder, um, just speaking of the big play and speaking of just blocking in general, will the 49ers have an answer on first down? Like how will they do things differently? Because if you give Dak third and four, third and five, it's going to be a long day for the 49ers defense. So that that's something to keep an eye on. But Dallas wasn't able to run the ball uh, outside of two carries from Pollard that went over 15 yards. Like they averaged four yards a carry, and that's not going to get it done against the 49ers. Nobody has been able to run the ball in the 49ers. They have the best run defense in the NFL, and it's pretty comfortable whether you're looking at um, EPA per play uh, allowed, whether you're looking at success rate, they're in the top three. Um, their DVOA defensively, which is essentially adjusted uh, schedule efficiency, uh, their tops. So will the 49ers make Dallas one-sided like they do every other team? Force just like they did when, when Geno had to throw the ball when he was down. He was a different quarterback when the, as opposed to when the game was, you know, just one possession. So that's something to keep an eye on. What do you think happens here on this side of the ball? Because as I mentioned, I mean, anything you look at, the 49ers are still like top three across the board defensively. Absolutely. And I think we have to kind of come to terms with the fact that the Niners defense are going to give up some yards and points. I mean, they're in the playoffs. They're playing some high level offenses, no matter what you think of Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Kenneth Walker, their play caller, Shane Waldron, who seems to be pretty good. Um, And now the same thing this week, right? Dak Prescott, Tony Pollard, CD lamb, Dalton Schultz, like all these teams have a lot of offensive talent. It's generally easier to play offense than it is to play defense and even as good as the Niners are they're going to give up yards and points so it's almost like we shouldn't be we shouldn't be frustrated when the Niners are giving up 16 points in the first half or 17 points or whatever it ended up being and ultimately that's all they ended up uh, they only gave up a touchdown um, in the second half they're, they're going to give up yards and points it's just a matter of you know trying to turn teams one-dimensional and I thought they did a good job of that against Seattle you, you mentioned that they hit you know, they got hit in the mouth early with the run and it felt like everything was kind of coming easy to Seattle. But as the tide started to shift and you turn Seattle more into a drop back passing team over and over again, eventually that pass rush, that secondary, which is opportunistic, is going to make a play or two. And ultimately, that's all the difference. That That's really all there is because on the other side, the offense is extremely efficient. So if you're able to earn an extra possession, gain a red zone stop and force a field goal instead of a touchdown, that's probably enough to make a difference in this game. And then as soon as that momentum continues to, you know, slide towards the offense, then the defense only starts to feast more. And that's kind of what happened in that Seattle game. And that's kind of been their story this season where it feels like, you know, at times you're like, man, the the opposing offense is really kind of moving on them. And then all of a sudden it's a Hufunga pick or a Gibson pick, or it's a Nick Bosa sack, or it's an Omanu strip sack. And then, all of a sudden it's an avalanche and the Niners just run away uh, with the game. And if they can stop Tony Pollard, right? The 49ers have been the best run defense this season. They still haven't given up 
a game of 70 yards to a single rusher. I think they're number one in adjusted line yards. They're number one in EPA per play against the run. They're number one in success rate. That's going to be the key. If they can slow Tony Pollard, if they can turn Dak Prescott one-dimensional into a drop-back passer, then that's when you feel like you're at an advantage just because you can let your defensive line get after him. And like you mentioned, their offensive line against some good defensive lines over the last month just hasn't been as good. And he leads the league in interceptions at 15. Your defense leads the league in interceptions at 20. And that's honestly all it takes in these playoff games, right? It's a turnover here, there, a turnover there. And that's probably enough to to flip the script. And so that's probably what I'm going to be most looking forward to is how they slow down Tony Pollard and force the Cowboys to pass. Yeah, Tony Pollard is tough. He, he eclipsed 1,000 yards. He averaged 5.2 yards per carry. And I mean, Zeke's a good short yardage back too, and he's a great pass protector. From week 10 on, Pollard had the third best percentage of carries that went for 15 yards. So that's going to be the 49ers focus, right? To make sure that he does not break one of these long runs. Um, McCaffrey was fifth and Zeke was sixth. So it wasn't like Zeke. People I know think Zeke is this plotter, but he, he can still make you pay. And whether that's scheme, who knows? But keeping their running game in check, making Dak perform on second and long. That will be the key. And of course, pressure. You mentioned turnovers. That has been a thing all season for the Cowboys. But it's not like um, they, they've left a lot to be desired just as far as like not living up to their talent. And I don't know how much of that is due to injuries. Obviously, Dak did not play the whole season, and that should be noted as well. Um, they, they signed T.Y. Hilton in December. Like That just tells you about their wide receivers. So CeeDee Lamb, I would – I don't know if you agree with this, but he's probably the best receiver in this game. But when you're going see if you rank CD Lamb number one, the 49ers have one or sorry, two, three, and four locked down pretty easily, I would say. And then whether it's Dalton Schultz, whoever after that, I don't know if that even matters. But uh, the 49ers have the best passing group. They might not have the best pass catcher. Would probably uh, agree there. But so, that's but that's been the case a lot, right? They I would say DK Metcalf was the best pass catcher last week couple weeks ago Devonte adams the best cap pass sure. catcher it feels like they faced that a lot but they have two three four five and then i mean before you even count mccaffrey as a wide receiver he's probably up there um so the coaching edge kyle shanahan D'Amico ryan's they will continue to have the edge no matter who they play i feel like uh we're talking about the cowboys offense quite a bit but like i'm not so sure that the cowboys are going to be able to slow down uh the 49ers so the, the Titans, it, it, I know this was a couple of weeks ago, but it, they were, it seemed like they had a chance uh, to move the ball at times anyway. Last week, I know that the Bucks put up a stinker, but that game is tied. If Tom Brady doesn't throw a red zone interception, and maybe not tied, they, I think they have the lead even. Um, if Tom Brady doesn't throw an a red zone interception, they were moving the ball. Tampa Bay just didn't punch it in. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I mentioned 13 points against uh, Josh Dobbs and a Titans team that was did not have the majority of their starters. They gave up 34 points to the Eagles the week before. They gave up 40 points to the Jaguars the week prior. They gave up 23 points and should have lost against the Texans the week before. I know these are regular season games, and it's not as easy as you get up um, against a Texans team as you would the 49ers, but there, there have been faults in this defense. And if there is somebody, again, who knows where to attack a Dan Quinn defense, it is Kyle Shanahan who worked with him with the Falcons who has been studying Dan Quinn for years and years and years. 
I was going to say, the I think they're like two and three in their last five games. It really feels like the Cowboys are one of those young teams that play with emotion because in some of these big games against a big opponent, it feels like they show up and ball out. But in some of these other games, it's, you know, against Jacksonville, I think they blew a, a first half lead, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, against the Tennessee Titans, a game that the Titans easily could have won against the commanders in a game that they really weren't playing for anything. Commanders came kind of kicked their ass. Um, even though the starters were playing and Tampa Bay was a huge, huge, huge moment for the Cowboys just because they were one and done last year came into the playoffs. There was a ton of pressure on Mike McCarthy and that coaching staff um, to deliver a playoff win, especially against a sub 500 division winner. They were road favorites. They had to have that. They had the extra long week. Um, and it felt like they came out and played like that. And now are they going to have the same intensity this week? I mean, they probably didn't get home till Tuesday. They're on a short week traveling again, cross country back to West West Coast. The Niners are on a long week. They get two extra days. They're at home. They're going to be fresher. Like That's that's quite a bit of, uh, of turnaround. And I just question if this Cowboys team is just going to be up for the challenge, which is weird to say considering it's the divisional round of the playoffs. But I – that's also something that's been kind of going through my mind. Yeah, I mean, when I watch the Cowboys play defense, they do have a good front, and obviously it's led by Michael Parsons, and they have enough speed and talent on in the back seven. I just think they make enough mistakes to, that you can take advantage, and I would imagine I, – I think Traylon Diggs has actually gotten a lot better this season, but I, I, I still don't think he is um, like a top-10 cornerback that you would shy away from. And, again, like their corners – I think the 49ers have a significant advantage here on the perimeter, and it feels like that has been the case. So Purdy just has to play point guard. So let's get into some predictions. Like, what do we think? My initial gut when we found out that the Cowboys were going to play the 49ers was going to be a high-scoring shootout game, and I still think that's going to be the case. I think the 49ers win 31-27. to I think we're going to see points back and forth and back and forth, and it'll probably come down to a Dak turnover. It'll probably come down to – um, maybe maybe it is a missed field goal because the Cowboys kicker seemed like he missed every freaking kick. And there were reports saying that he was missing the net on the, the kicking net on the sideline, which is pretty tough to do. So uh, who knows if that's going to still be in his head mentally, because that does matter. But if the 49ers have the special teams advantage, um, we already know that their defense is mostly lights out and their offense is close to catching up to their defense. So I think they have the better unit. And then it comes down to coaching. I'm going to take Kyle Shannon over Mike McCarthy every day of the week. So 31-27, I think it's going to be a close one. I think it's going to be a fun one. And I also think this is going to be the best game of the playoffs like the Chiefs and Bills game last week. What do you got for us? That's bold. And I do agree. I think it's going to be a high-scoring shootout. I think the Niners win 34-28. I think it's pretty simple. A couple things. Like I said, Niners are the well-rested team, considering they played on Saturday afternoon, won't play till Sunday. So they get an eight-day week. Cowboys get a short week. They played Monday night. We'll play Sunday. Um they have now played four straight road games coming into this uh, game. We know what that did to the 49ers last year. Eventually, that stuff just piles up. They had to travel to Tennessee, and they had to travel to Washington, um, then to Tampa Bay, and now to San Francisco, and eventually that stuff just catches up to you. Second thing, I think if, we, if there was one glaring weakness on both sides of the ball for both teams, I think it's the Cowboys' secondary. They're 32nd in DVOA defending – wide receiver two, which is kind of a general term, but it's the second wide receiver. They give the most yards per game to wide receiver twos. I think it's like 64 yards per game. 
seems like the corner opposite of Trevon Diggs, whoever that is, um, you know, seems to be problematic. I know they kind of rotated their their uh, coverage this week to be different than it was in the regular season, but it was it was a point of emphasis. I think they're 18th in uh, pass defense DVOA over the back half of the season. I think that's the weakness that the 49ers offense is going to take advantage of. And ultimately, I think the 49ers just have too many weapons on offense. Brock Purdy's been playing point guard really well. He passed his first playoff test. They're going to be at home, even if it's not a complete, you know, um, 49ers home field advantage. Ultimately, I think all those factors just weigh out. I think there's defense is opportunistic. Dak Prescott's been prone to turn over the ball. I think there's it's going to be high scoring, but I think, like you mentioned, it's going to come down to a Prescott mistake or two. And I think Purdy's just going to be able to protect the ball. And I think the 49ers offensive talent just overwhelms. And they come away with this win. I do think they are the better team. I think it's close. I think both teams are pretty close in talent gap, but I think the 49ers just have the slight edge. And all those factors just play in, and they win. And they win, and they advance to their third NFC championship in four years. That second cornerback that you're talking about is Deron Bland, and he had a target on his back for Tampa Bay. They targeted him 12 times. He gave up eight catches for uh, 98 yards, and he also allowed – 49 yards after the catch, which is a big no-no, not to mention a touchdown. But if you're giving up yards after the catch, if you're giving up nearly half of your yards after the catch, um, the 49ers are going to take advantage of you. And that's um, a Shanahan staple, Shanahan principle that he always does. So, yeah, good point there, good notes um, on the secondary, on the Cowboys being vulnerable in the secondary. They do a good job of taking away tight ends. They do a good job of taking away slot receivers, but you can win on the perimeter against them. And now that the 49ers have a quarterback and a coach that's willing to attack the perimeter, it makes this offense much more difficult to stop. So I agree with all your points. And that's why it's tough. Like we have no evidence of this. We have one data point where the 49ers didn't score uh, more than 30 points, but it's difficult to believe this team, the way that they are playing right now, given the recent history of the Cowboys giving up points, to whenever they step up in class against a good offense, uh, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars, 30-burger, or sorry, 40-burger, uh, Jalen Hurts. And it wasn't even Jalen Hurts. It was Gardner freaking Minshew and the Eagles, 34 points. So um, it it's difficult to believe Kyle Shanahan won't have the same success. So I agree there. Uh, that'll do it for us. Hopefully we are back next week talking about a potential NFC championship. Um, please rate, subscribe, review. Leave us five stars wherever it is that you get your podcast. Follow me on Twitter, KP underscore show, Akash, yourself. Follow me on Twitter at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. Subscribe, rate, and review, Niners Nation Podcast Network, and go Niners. Niners.